this morning as we begin chapter 19, the first 27 verses here, as we continue our journey uh, with Dr. Luke as we are now very close to Jerusalem. And remember these Gospels, all of them, all four of them, were written by first-hand accounts. So this is Luke traveling with Jesus, his perspective, as he has heard from the Lord all of these amazing truths. And we now find them about 18 miles from Jerusalem. They're on the Jericho Road, uh, that road that winds around through Bethany, around the Mount of Olives, and then down through a series of canyons. Uh, down into the Jordan River Valley, some 3,800 feet down. And so Jesus has come to Jericho. We've already learned that he's going to pass through it. And so as he begins now uh, to pass through Jericho, we have this very interesting meeting between a chief tax collector, an agent of the IRS, Uh, One of those people that you and I don't want to meet, you and I probably think, like many, how can they possibly be saved? That was the vision of the crowd that day. That's what the crowd was thinking. They're like, how can this guy uh, come to any type of relationship with the Messiah? I mean, after all, look at what he does. And as is our normal uh, practice for many of us, we have a tendency to judge by the externals. We, we look at people, we look at places, we look at things. And so the first thing we're going to see this morning is these false ideals that are exposed and will come to the place. And so if we pick up uh, here in verse 1, let's pray and ask God to speak to us. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, it's power to change and transform us. And Lord, we pray that we'd set aside the things of the day, Lord, each of us carrying some cares, concerns, maybe even some worries, Lord, perhaps some sickness, something we're going through in our lives that we find hard to reconcile with your goodness. Would you this morning uh, put those things aside for a moment, and would you speak to us? Help us to hear your word, to understand it, to obey it. God, we give you this time that you might Do with it as you please in our lives. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 1 here in chapter 19 of Luke's Gospel. And then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And many of you probably know this from the old songs. Zacchaeus come down from that tree and the whole, you know, you, you probably have it memorized like I do who is a chief tax collector, and notice that there's a little jab taken at him, and he was rich. And many people look at someone's particular situation in life, perhaps their richness or their material blessings, and and very often the church is even guilty of saying, well, you know, the guy's got some money, so he must not know the Lord. The guy has some cash in his pocket, so maybe he's gotten that in an ill-gotten way. We're going to find out that that was a very wrong judgment in the case of this man. Because we're going to see that before he ever meets Jesus, he has already been giving, given away half of what he had. And so we have to be careful not to judge people. We have to be careful not to look at circumstances and situations in people's lives and think that we know beyond any shadow of doubt, 
Now, where are their hearts at? We're not to judge the heart of men. We're simply to look at fruit. And if we can encourage someone to do the right thing, then we do that. But we are not the judge of where people's hearts are. And so he sought to see Jesus. But he could not because of the crowd, for he was short of stature. And that's kind of a nice way of saying he was vertically challenged. Uh, he, he was a man who, who didn't have a whole lot of altitude. He had some attitude, but not much altitude. He was short. And so in this crowd, and if you've ever been in a large crowd, you know, it's like uh, I, I've, you've been watching the World Series, and when people stand up in front of you, what do you have to do? You have to stand up too, don't you? You know, you have to stand up and see where you can see. If you happen to be one of those people who are vertically challenged, you have to stand on your seat to be able to see over the top of everyone. This was the case of Zacchaeus. He was a short guy. And so this gives you a little insight into his character, though. He, he didn't let what was physically maybe a little bit challenging for him keep him from seeking the Lord. He, he reached out. And so he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And if you go to Israel today and you wander through the Jordan Valley, you'll still see these clusters of sycamore trees. They can reach heights of a 100 feet or more and nearly as wide. And so as you wander along through those groves of trees, it's very easy to see how someone who would be short of stature might find one of these trees and say, well, I'll scramble up there. At least I'll be able to see him. And so he was doing what he could. And would I remind you that this morning God only asks us to do what we can. He does not ask us to do what we can't. He is the one who must empower us to do the things that we're incapable of. And if he doesn't do that, then surely we are in difficulty. And so he says there in verse 5, And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and he saw him and he said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must stay in your house. And you can hear the crowd in the background saying, Are you kidding me? Him? Zacchaeus? I mean, come on. Not only is the dude like short with an attitude, but he's rich and he's the guy that we love to hate. Matter of fact, very often we look at people and maybe somebody's got a nice tatted up sleeve or maybe we look at somebody and they ride a Harley into the parking lot of the church or maybe we look at somebody whom with we do not agree maybe with where they are in life or their particular actions and we go, him? Her? I mean, did you see what she wore to church last week? I mean, how could she possibly dress like that? I mean, come on. Can I ask you to be careful? Because a lot of times it's those people that are actually seeking to see Jesus. And perhaps it's this place that they've come to see Jesus. And if we, by our quick-to-judge mentality, look at that person and say, you know, hi, them? This guy's the chief tax collector. A guy who was despised by everyone. Nobody liked chief tax collectors. And so he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. 
This, this guy who made the effort, he was seeking the Lord. What an unlikely convert he really was. But when they saw it, notice how the crowd responds. Be careful you're not in this batch. You know, I've actually had people come to me and, and complain about certain people who have gotten saved. Well, I don't think they're genuine. I don't think they mean it. You know, I live next door to them, and you should hear what goes on there in the evenings. Family, as I've shared with you before, if the Lord were to pop up what goes on in your head every day behind you, and every one of us were staring at it, you would all be going, Ow! Be careful. Be careful. Do not judge too quickly. Very often we don't have the whole picture. And the crowd didn't have the whole picture of Zacchaeus either. They didn't know where Zacchaeus was at. And so they complained saying, notice how they judged. What a pathetic commentary this is on the hearts of mankind. He's gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. (gasps) Really? Isn't that what he came to do? Is that not exactly why Jesus came to the earth? To seek and save that which is lost? To find lost sheep and lost coins? To minister to the broken? He didn't come to enrich the already rich. He came to find the people who were lost and needed him. And sometimes I wonder if we don't keep people from coming to Jesus because of our view of who Jesus will accept. Now, am I telling you that we shouldn't have a standard? Of course not. God's standards are high. He is holy enthroned in the heavens. He is fully righteous. And there is none like him, your Bible says. But when people are looking for Jesus, they're covered with the mud of the world, aren't they? I was. I don't know how, you know, maybe all of you were perfect before you came to Jesus, but I wasn't. I was a drunk. I was a drunk. I didn't go 24 hours without sticking my head in a bottle. We need to be careful. People probably would have looked at my life 30 years ago and gone, Him? No chance in this world. It's not going to happen. Don't even know why Jesus would want Him. Jesus wants all of us. And frankly, He doesn't care how mucky you are. He cares that you get a little less mucky tomorrow. After you come to Him. And then Zacchaeus stood and said, Lord, look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor. See how they had falsely thought something about Zacchaeus. He's been doing this already. This is not a result of him meeting Jesus. This was where he was before he met Jesus. So everybody's saying, look, he's a sinner, he's a tax collector. And yet what people didn't know about Zacchaeus is that he was looking to be pleasing 
even though he didn't know the Lord personally yet. He was trying, he was doing what he could, and yet people thought wrongly of him. Look, I've been giving half of my goods to the poor. Now think about that for a second. In your own life, there's probably no one in this room who can say that. I know I can't. I don't give half my goods to the poor. I never have. I've never even gotten close to that. Do I give? Absolutely. And generously. But nowhere near half of my income? Imagine writing that check every month. Most of you are going, well, half of nothing still nothing. So I give half. And then he goes on to, to even in a deeper way, explain where he's at. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I'll restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, the same thing that Jesus always says to those who are seeking, to those who are looking, to those who really want to know who Jesus is. Today's salvation has come to this house. Because he also is the son of Abraham. He's saying, you're you're grafted in, you're good to go. For the son of man, and this is the key verse in the gospel of Luke, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And so a few things that you can glean from this particular passage. This guy was lost. He collected taxes for Rome. Jews hated him, the rich, the poor hated him. People hated the publicans, the tax collectors. And he had a second distinction in that he was the chief of them. He was the head tax collector, if you will. He was like the regional chief for Rome. And on top of that, uh, he, he wasn't exactly the the most... Uh, attractive person in the room. It's one thing if you happen to be, you know, tall and handsome and then rich, but when you're short and you kind of are hated and you're rich, people look at you and it's like, oh, how did he get that? Because obviously it wasn't who he knew. You, You know, you wouldn't expect him or her to be like that. And it's interesting to me as you look at this passage, because if you really see what's going on here, Jesus' whole goal was to find guys just like this and ladies just like this and minister to people who were in the midst of that place in life to where they're, man, there's got to be more to life than this. Now think about having enough money to be in Zacchaeus' situation. Because let's face it, he must have been fairly wealthy to be able to maintain a presence of wealth because everybody thought he was wealthy, right? And yet to maintain a presence of wealth and then to give away half of your wealth, he must have been really wealthy. So he could have gone the other way. He could have gotten to that place that many of us do. We start to rest and trust in the things 
our possessions, our passions, our position. And at the end of our days, we find out that those things really don't matter all that much. And again, nothing wrong with wealth. Wealth is a good thing used in the right way. But it can also captivate us. It can keep us. It can hold us. It's kind of the lesson here of Zacchaeus. As Jeremiah 29.13 says, You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Think about that for a second. That's what Zacchaeus does, amen? He's like, I need to see Jesus. I'm going to go find a tree. I'm going to climb. If you've ever climbed a sycamore tree, the bark is really slippery. This was kind of a dangerous event, and he was not wearing tree climbing gear. He had no harness, no ropes. He's like, I need to get up where I can see Jesus. I think there's a lesson for us in that. Sometimes we need to take the initiative. We see a picture of God's sovereign plans working here along with man's responsibility to do something. You know, Sometimes we wonder, well, how come God doesn't speak to me? Well, I haven't been to church in a while. Don't even know where, where my Bible is currently. And again, that's not meant to be critical. It's to say, look, we have our responsibility. That's the way we need to take that part of who we are and go, look, Lord, I love you and I want to know you. And so I'm going to do what's necessary to make that happen. Dwight Moody said one time, he said, if you subtracted the time that we spend with Jesus from our lives, how many people would be able to say it actually mattered? Think about it for a second. You reach that place in your life, it's like, you know, I don't even remember the last time I prayed. Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus. We need to be looking for Jesus. The world is like this crowd. It's big, it's strong, it's pushing him around. What could he do? He could climb. He could look. He could seek. And when he does, he'll find you see, if we look for the Lord, we find out that Jesus has been looking for us. Isn't that weird how that works? You know, all this time, those, those truths of Scripture come alive off the page. It's like, I didn't even know it said that. I was talking to a Jewish man when we were in Jerusalem last year. And I just asked him, you know, about how he viewed the Torah and the Tanakh and what he knew. Oh, it was the, the word of Yahweh, you know. And I said, have you ever read the book of Proverbs? He said, yes, 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 yes. We love Proverbs, you know, we were talking about it. I said, did you know that there in the book of Proverbs it says, Solomon writing, can you tell me the name of God's son? I didn't know that was there. You see, he hadn't been looking for Jesus. We need to be looking for Jesus. And Jesus knew all about him, didn't he? Isn't it funny how the Lord already knew who Zacchaeus was? He called him by name, by the way. There's no apparent reason for us to believe that Jesus didn't simply know who Zacchaeus was. Hey, dude in the tree. He didn't say that. Mr. Arborist, would you come down from there? 
He calls him by name. He says, Zacchaeus, come on down here. Not only that, he invites himself to dinner. That's kind of weird, isn't it? It's like, uh, today I need to go to your house. It kind of shows you the heart of Jesus and the heart of Zacchaeus simultaneously. Because Zacchaeus didn't say, well, you know, I mean, I got some friends over right now and I need to make sure they leave before you show up because uh, they're not like you. How many of us, if Jesus came over to our house, we'd have to do some quick rearranging? Maybe get rid of some videos out of our library or perhaps a magazine or two or clear out some cabinet wherein we store some things that perhaps we should not consume in quite so great a quantity. Some of those things that we would do. And in this case, what you really see is God had already prepared the ground in Zacchaeus' heart. Zacchaeus was going, man, I don't even care what's in my house. I just want you to come over. That's somebody who really wants to know the Lord. Because we come by faith. Amen? None of us are ready to receive Jesus when it happens. And we're not worthy to receive Jesus when it happens. And if we had to get ready before we got saved, we wouldn't get saved. Amen? We wouldn't come into a relationship with the God who loves us because we'd never be ready. There's always something wrong with us. As I've shared with you so many times, the church is really just a gigantic hospital. It's full of sick people, broken people, hurt people who all need to be mended. That's all of us. It's every last one. It's me too. I'm not perfect. I have my issues. Me and God talk about them all the time. It's like, Jeff, what are you doing? I don't know, Lord. I'm not sure. That's because God loves us in spite of us at times. And He's not looking to condemn us. The world was already condemned through sin. He loves us. You see, He kind of gives us a, a place that we can understand all of us. Jesus found Zacchaeus and He found Jesus. It's the both sides of the coin working together. And it takes both. That's why when people say, well, you know, in the end everybody gets saved. No, that's not true. And Scripture doesn't teach it. Scripture says those who seek Him will find Him. Scripture says that you have to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. It's not automatic. It's not because your parents were lifelong Methodists. It doesn't work that way. It isn't because you, you know, you even attended church. A lot of people think that if you attend church long enough, you get saved. Now, that might happen, but that's not why it happens. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And all of a sudden, things begin to take shape in our hearts and our minds. It's like, I want to know Him. I need to know Him. In this case, we see exactly what James was talking about. Because faith without works is dead. It's not a live faith. You see, that's why James says what it says. Someone will say, if you have faith, I have works. There's kind of people that think that those two things compete. You know, it's just like, well, you know, you're really religious. Does anybody else hate it when somebody says, you're really religious? I hate it because I'm not religious at all. I don't have a religious bone in my body. I have a relational bone in my body, and his name is Jesus. I just want to have a relationship with the God who loves me. And all the religious stuff... I don't know if that's taught anywhere in Scripture. Is he holy? Absolutely. And we need to treat him as such. We should always love him and honor him. 
But he came to have a relationship with us. Not to just simply be religious. And so, show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. For you believe that there is one God, and you do well. And he goes on to say, but even demons do that. See, that's the conscious understanding that there must be a God. And so he says, even demons believe that. He says, you want to know, foolish man? Faith without works is dead. If you really love God, then things change in your life. Not all at once. It's not instantaneous. That's why when I see people who think that all Christians need to be perfect, I said, if you find one, you should probably leave them alone because you'll ruin them. You know, you, you, just we're not perfect. We're being perfected, and there's two totally different views there. I'm a work in progress, and so are you. And we need to have some room for each other to grow. And so you see this key verse, and I want to leave you with one thought before we move on to the verse 11. Notice in verse 10, it says that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I want you to notice something. There is not a single two-syllable word in that entire sentence. It's exactly how simple the gospel is. What he came to do. He came to seek and, in other words, look after, find those who were lost and to make sure that they came into a relationship with him. The gospel's that simple. Let's not complicate it. Church sometimes complicates the gospel message. Let's be careful to keep the main thing the main thing. Amen? Verse 11 and now as they heard these things, the, the who is the crowd, and it includes the disciples that we've already discerned in the previous chapter. And he spoke another parable. Now remember, the parables were spoken to the people because they didn't understand plain English. Or plain Aramaic in this case. Possibly Greek. You, you see, they didn't get it when Jesus just simply told them the truth. So what did he do? He gave them little stories to help engage their thought processes so that they could think through it themselves and get into the story and play their little part. That's the purpose of the parables. That's why Jesus did it. Because we're dumb as hot rocks at times. Amen? It's like you can hear the truth and you go, I don't know what that means. And so the Lord speaks to us in parables. And because he was near Jerusalem... And because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately, you, you get the point. He's saying, look, they're all like, kingdom, great, great. We're going to get rid of the Romans, and it's going to be an all-Jewish society, and you're going to be the king, and I'm going to be a prince, and we're going to go, and we're just going to rule together. And off we go into Jerusalem. This is the way they're going. Now, all of a sudden, they're like, look, we're going to be part of it. It's going to be awesome. He's going to be the CEO, and I'm going to be the CFO, and he's going to be the chief of information technologies, and, you know, he's going to take care of the shoes. I don't know what he's going to but we're going to all go do this together. They didn't get it. They had no idea. Jesus has told them, look, I'm going to die, and I'm going to be raised in three days. And they're like, well, you know, that's uh, figurative. It's metaphoric. That's not really going to happen. We're going to go to Jerusalem, and we're going to start our own little kingdom. That's where they were. It's how crazy people can get with religion. 
They wander around in this religious attitude that there's some secret knowledge that can only be known by these few handful of, this handful, this tiny group of people, and these are the real religious ones. And so, man, if you join that group, you're going to be fine. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to speak to you a parable. And I want to take this as Jesus said it, and we're going to read the entire thing uh, all at once. And therefore he said, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And so he called ten of his servants and delivered to them ten minas. And he said to them, Do business till I come. And so the citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him and saying, We don't want this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. And then the first came to him saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful with very little. I've given you authority over ten cities. And then the second came saying, Master, Your mina has earned five minas. And likewise, he said to him, and you will be over five cities. And then another came saying, Master, here is your mina. And he's not talking about a bird, by the way. We'll get there in a moment. Which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. I took what you had, and not only did I not do anything with it, I tuck it away to where nobody can even see it. No one would know that I have a mina. And so he says, For I feared you because you are an austere man, and you collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. For you knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, that at my coming I might have at least collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to him who has ten minas. But then they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. Look, the dude's already, he's doing fine. Why give it to him? Why don't you give it to somebody else? Give it to somebody else. Not him. He's already got ten. He's doing great. For I say to you that everyone who has will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, and I will have them slain before me. What was Jesus doing? That's a tough parable. When you look at this whole parable, you're, you're sitting there thinking, man, is this all about money? Is this something that's going on here that I need to know about cash? And though there is a, a picture here how the Lord is using a, a monetary example, that's really not what this parable is about. It has application there, and we'll, in a light sense, look at it that way. The Lord has just emphatically declared his primary purpose on earth is to save that which is lost. Amen? And so there's a thought here, and I want you to notice the thought. Went into a far country. That's what Jesus came to do. Came to a place where there are lost sheep. He's going to find them. Some place he's not familiar with. And, and, And see, that kingdom, remember, Jesus actually refused to receive it from Satan. 
Remember, Satan, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. How did Jesus respond? It's not for, your, not for you to give. It's not your kingdom. You see, there was some preparation that went into the story here, and let's look at it as we wind these things up this morning. The word to do business here means to be pragmatic or to trade, and it's rightly translated in the New King James, to do business with it. And, and so this parable has to be distinguished from the parable of the talents. You have two specific parables here. That one's in Matthew chapter 25, and you all know the story. Their money is in view, and the talents are given. And a talent, just so you know, is a, was a measure of weight, just like a mina is a measure of weight. And so it was directly associated with whatever the weight of the object was in. In other words, it could be a talent of gold or a talent of silver or a talent of copper or a talent of, you know, Costco cheese balls or, you know, a talent of dirt or it could be a talent of whatever. And the same was true for a mina. It was based on what it was. So when this story goes forth, I want you to notice something. In this particular parable, Everyone, all ten, is given the exact same amount, one mina. What had he had just he had just taught them? I came to seek and save that which is lost. So what he's talking about here, in in its truest sense, is not so much the money. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about the good news of this simple gospel that he has just expressed. Because every last person on this earth who names the name of Christ, who is a Christian, who has believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and is saved, has the one gospel message. Amen? We all have different gifts, and that's the parable of the talent. Some of us come from a business background. Some of us come from... You know, maybe a wealthier environment. Some of us come from a poor environment. We don't all have the same talents. And the word talents I like because it kind of gives us a picture. It's things that maybe we ourselves have gained in life that can be useful for the kingdom. In this case, it's one thing. It's simply the gospel message. That's what we have in common. All of us. And so basically Jesus is saying, look, you have what you need. And when you look at this picture that's expressed by this monetary unit, if you were to take a mina, a mina was basically about a quarter of a year's worth of of pay for an agricultural worker. And so today it'd probably be worth $3,800, $4,000, something like that. It would be a bunch of money, but it was based in gold. If it was in gold, it'd be worth probably $72,000, if it were in gold. So it couldn't be about the money because it would differ throughout time. That's why we know that it was simply about the gospel message. And so in this parable, when you think about it in that way, it's saving faith. What are you doing with the saving faith that God has given you? How are you pressing on to tell other people about the kingdom? And this is where it can come back around to the fullness of who we are, our time our specific talents, and our treasure, because all those things are useful for putting the gospel forward. But that's what they're useful for. 
So what he's really saying here is let's look, let's make this analogy, let's put these things together. Because a mina, in one sense, was a paltry sum. It was a few months' worth of wages. Not insignificant, but it wasn't some gigantic amount of money either. And notice that different people invest their lives in gospel things in different ways, and the work of the Lord is bigger through their life. As you all know, I just finished doing Pastor Steve's memorial service on Thursday. It's crazy. There were five and a half, six thousand people that showed up for that memorial service. It's a very, very, very large church. They have immense resources, all those kind of things. But they still only have the one gospel. So whether it's in a mud hut in Africa or in a sanctuary that seats two and a half, three thousand people, whether it's in a nice cushy seat like we're sitting in, or whether it's on a rock on a hillside, the gospel message is still the same. What are you doing with it? How are you investing in the kingdom is really the picture here. You, you see, the world boasts of its power, and the world boasts of its passions and possessions and politics and culture and religion and wealth, all of these things. The world boasts in that. And the Lord is basically saying, look, it's not about how much you have. It's what you do with what you have that matters. Someone could look at this church and go, ah, they're kind of insignificant. I mean, they're a few hundred people. They got in, they do some good things, you know. But compared to Harvest in Riverside or compared to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, I mean, I mean, come on, do we really matter? We sure do. And in fact, the people that we reach would probably not be reached by those larger churches. We hold a unique place in the kingdom. And it travels all the way down to you that way. You have a unique place in the kingdom. So do not take what you have in Christ and put it in some hanky and stuff it in your pocket. God wants you to use what you have for the kingdom, for the gospel. You know, sometimes we look, well, you know, they do these things. I'd love to build a new sanctuary. I'd love to. That'd be great. We could get more people in. We could do all those things. But you know what? I want to only do what God wants us to do and be what God wants us to be. And that's what you should want. And so wherever the Lord leaves us on the grand spectrum of things, let's be content there and occupy and do the work of the Lord till he comes for us. Amen? We may not be able to do all the things that other churches are doing, but we can do everything that we're supposed to be doing. And we can reach the people that we're supposed to reach. And that's true for you, too. Do you realize that you have divine appointments every day with people I don't know? You ever think of it that way? There are people that you can touch that I can't touch. There are people that you touch that this church won't touch. There are people who need Jesus that you know personally that you have been equipped to minister to that only you have been equipped to minister to. It's what makes it so wonderful to be a part of the kingdom of God. We all have purpose. We have meaning. I used to think that the purpose and meaning of life was stuff. That's what I thought. I was pretty sure that the one with the most toys wins. 
And then I realized, you know, you can have all the toys and still not be happy. You can have all the stuff and still not be fulfilled. And so I found myself in that place of, Lord, there's got to be more to life than this. That is where we all need to come, right where you are at. Now, I can't speak for each of you. I can only speak for myself. But I can tell you this. When you figure that out, then wherever you're at actually has purpose and meaning. Wherever it is. As you know, I've traveled all over the world. And I've talked to people who have nothing, and I mean literally nothing, who are as content as you could possibly ever imagine. And they just love the Lord, and they're walking two miles to get water, and their idea of a great night is they have enough grass to burn in their hut. And they've got a couple of lizards that they're going to fry. Seriously. And they're like, look at the size of this lizard. It's like a plump lizard. I love this the lizard dinner. And they're, they're content. You and I are going, man, I'm not sure I really like lizard. But they have the same gospel you and I have. And so as they're out sharing with people, it brings joy to their life. And so in our story, we can kind of see that played out. And I want to focus in for the last couple of minutes just on this last guy. And notice what he says. I I feared you because you're an austere man. Do other people have the wrong impression of God because of what you've led them to believe that God is an austere God? That he sits in heaven on this judgment seat just waiting to barbecue them? There's Jeff again. I'm going to have to kill him. (laughs) A lot of people fear God because they need us. And can I tell you something? It's usually because we've got some form of disobedience in our life and we don't understand the character and nature of God. Because he loves people. We are his chief aim and goal in all of the universe. It's us. Silly mankind. Is God holy? Yes, of course. Perfectly so. But thank God in Jesus Christ, He's provided righteousness for us in Him on Calvary's cross. And He wants us to emulate Jesus, to be sure, as best as we can. But He's still looking to save those whom we would pass by because they look like Zacchaeus. He's still crying out to the the lost of this world going, look, I have the answer. This man made people think wrongly of the Master. Please don't do that. You you see, we don't want people to come to the wrong conclusion about God. We want them to meet whom we met. And perhaps you climbed a tree to find Jesus. As I've shared with you so many times, God didn't get a bargain when he got you, or me for that matter. He works at a functional, operational deficit because he uses us, doesn't he? Because we're imperfect vessels. And so we wander around and do our best, and God delights in that. Somehow it puts a smile on God's face when we do what we can do with what we have been given.
So many people are so worried about what they don't have that they forget to use what they do have. And again, it doesn't, it doesn't dismiss or diminish anyone's personal things they're going through. And I hope I've communicated that effectively. It's not to harm anyone or hurt anyone or make anyone feel less. It should cause you to feel as though the Lord of heaven and earth loves you personally. And all he asks in return is you take the one minor that you have and use it. Amen? That's why he went after Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was the illustration. He's saying, look, you guys didn't even think this guy could be saved. Isn't that what he said? They, they derided Jesus over this. From your human perspective, you would have never gone after Zacchaeus. You would have said, well, if he dies in the sin, great. That's what he deserves. Anybody else ever thought those things? I have. I, I shamefully admit there have been people I've looked at in my life, not recently, by the way, but there have been people I've looked at and I go, they're never getting saved. No way in the world are they getting saved. Do you realize that God could say that about each one of us? None of us deserve it, for there is none righteous, not one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So when we look at that, because he's come after each one of us, and because we've done our climbing of the tree to find him, we go tell somebody else about him. And let them come to that relationship that we already have. Basically, he says, look, here's the gospel. Let's use it. And notice that there's a pretty sobering warning here at the end, and I don't need to elaborate on it for you. It's like, look, use it or lose it. Amen? I've given you the truth. What are you doing with the truth? And if we'll do that, then Jesus kind of shines through each of us, uniquely and wonderfully. You know, I'm kind of a nut. I'm weird. I admit it. It makes you guys weird because you come and listen. I, I, I am. I'm like that. I have a strange sense of humor. I, you know, I can't explain why I am like I am. I'm just a broken vessel that Jesus uses. That's who I am. I've learned to delight in that. Because I, I, I was sitting around at that memorial service and I got Skip Isaac and Greg Laurie and all these guys sitting with me and I'm just like, man, I am so not like them. I'm just not. And it doesn't make them bad and me good. It's just, I'm just so not like them. You know, I'm kind of like, you know, where's Nacho, the guy that does the janitorial here? I got more in common with him. It's the way I am. But I'm unique, and they have their place in the kingdom, and I have my place in the kingdom, and you have your place in the kingdom. And if each of us will take the one minor that we have and invest our time and our talent and our treasure, all three parts, he's only giving you so many minutes in a day, amen? Use some of them for Jesus. He's given you specific gifts and talents and skills. Use them for the kingdom. He's given you a certain amount of resources. We call it money, assets, those types of things. We use them for Jesus. And if everybody does that, it's a glorious thing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the simplicity of this message, for the simplicity of the gospel. 
And we ask God that as you send us out of this place, Lord, we ponder these things and pray that we'd be looking how we can invest, Lord, in your kingdom, Lord, with our time and our talent and our treasure. Lord, the simple things that you have touched in our lives. And so, God, we just ask that you would help us to not falsely accuse. Lord, help us to not be judgmental. Help us to reach out to those who are lost and hurting. God, with whom we may not even see eye to eye. God, help us to do what you came to do, which is to seek and to save that which is lost. We love you that you did that for us. How can we diminish that in anyone else's life? Help us in these days to be busy about our Father's business. And all God's people said, Amen.